Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 40 of the Speaking Club podcast. Last show I was talking about bum notes. This week I'm talking about putting bums on seats. I suppose you'd call that a bum rush. Welcome to the Speaking Club podcast, because making them laugh is the secret sauce to your speaking, pitching, and business success. And now your host, Sarah Archer. Welcome to the show. Here we are at episode 40. It's been fabulous. I didn't know if I'd get here, but I have. I've enjoyed every moment of it, meeting the guests and getting their wisdom and hopefully uh, helping some of you guys out with your speaking and your storytelling and so on. But I wanted just to take a moment at this point to say thank you for listening and for sharing the podcast with others. And also, do my usual, if you do like the show, if you could take a couple of seconds to leave a review, it helps people find the speaking club and it also that gives me a warm glow all over. And also come say hi on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. It'd be smashing to connect. And lastly, if you are in Edinburgh at the Fringe this summer, come and say hi in person. I am going to be up there for a whole month performing in a play called The Amours of Lily Langtree which is a feisty comedy drama set in Edwardian England. And there is a link to that uh, and more info and tickets in the show notes. But enough of all that, let's get on with today's show. This episode is still on a sales theme, but specifically how you can fill your events and workshops. My guest QJ is a workshop guru and he specializes in teaching speakers who are also coaches and consultants to fill their events. And uh, whether those events are workshops, taster sessions, webinars or mastermind groups. And we talk strategy right through to the nuts and bolts of putting the event together. So if you run any sort of event, I know you're going to get a load of value out of this show. And here we go. Speaker and workshop guru, welcome to the Speaking Club, QJ. Hi, everyone. Cool. Now, QJ, my understanding is you work with people to help them fill their workshops. Is that correct, first of all, in terms of what you do? And also, really interested to know how you got into doing it. Well, the first answer is yes, that is what I do. The second answer would be, how did, how did I get into it? It would be because I've been putting on events um, since I was at school, actually. So uh, a workshop is an event. Um, all events are different. However, workshops do have similarities with other kinds of events. So because I've been filling um, theatres, venues, village halls, all manner of venues for uh, far too long. Um, it's something that I realized a few years back that I could help other people do. And because I'm part of the uh, speaking community and I saw a lot of speakers who weren't perhaps getting the, the traction and the attraction they wanted as speakers, perhaps I could help them if um, I encouraged them to put on their own events and help them get people into the room with them. Cool. There's, there's a couple of things I want to pick up there, but let's go back a bit. So tell me about these events mm. that you put on from school. Curious to know more about that and more about you, really. Okay. Well, from a very early age, I knew I wanted to be a rock star and go into the music <laughs> business. Um, I was a, trained classically and sang in the Cathedral Choir at Canterbury. So I was already a, a, a trained musician, but I got into my teenage years and just rebelled against everything 
um, conventional and, you know, to do with normal society. I just wanted to get out there and be a complete rebel. Um, so I put on my first gig while I was still at school and actually it was in the school dormitory. And uh, I had a band. It was a blues band and invited all my mates, obviously, to come along. Our housemaster was very generous and said, yes, of course, you can have the dormitory one night. And uh, that, when I was, what, 14, 15, was what made me fall in love with just getting people into a room and giving them a great time. So it, it was all about entertaining people. Uh, more lately, it's about educating people as well. But the thing about putting on an event, putting on my own event, um, has really always just turned me on. It's, it's a fantastic thing to do. And so how did you get good at filling your workshops? So presumably you weren't like bang out of the gate filling, I mean, the, dorm, the, the school one may be slightly different because I'm sure it would have been quite an attractive prospect to hear a blues brand at school. But thereafter, was it easy for you always or did you, was it a lot of trial and error? How did you get good at it? Well, I have to say it wasn't that difficult because back in the day um, there wasn't all the competition that there is now, and it was very there was no internet, of course, and it was very much about um, getting the buzz out there, you know, creating a buzz around your event, and that was on the streets, it was down in the coffee bar, it was, you know, wherever you met your mates, um, and you'd all be in it together. The, the word community, which is used a lot now, was definitely the thing then. Um, so that hasn't changed at all. So it's really getting together with all the people in your community and saying, hey, you know, where are you going? What's happening? Oh, Saturday night, we're going to this event. Oh, great. We're coming too. You know, where is it? And all that. So um, that really is the psychology behind it. And that hasn't changed. Even online uh, with the internet, you've got exactly the same um, job to do. You've got to get people excited about the thing that's happening, make it stand out from everything else that's available. Because as I say, then there wasn't a lot of competition. Now there's massive competition. Um, and because I loved it so much, because I was so passionate about it, of course, I went out there and I was, um, you know, advocating and, and being the champion of the events that I was putting on. So yeah, booking a, a hall that Fill, you know, was full with 100 people in it um, would be actually quite easy to fill because 100 people in the local community of, you know, a few thousand um, was not that difficult to, to, to get underway and actually make it happen. And what sort of time, because uh, I mean, I've come on to some more of the practical details, but I don't want to miss this. Mm, of course. To me, is, you know, in terms of, a, you know, a lead time for events, is, is there a sort of an optimum time for all events or does it vary from event to event? Is that something that we need to consider when we're thinking about putting on events? Okay. Um, well, the bad news is that, yeah, you need to plan <clears throat> a long time in advance, really. Even if you're just getting started or probably especially when you're just getting started, because the whole point about this is building an audience um, and to get to, you know, the status of Ned Sheeran or someone who has a reputation that people, it's a household name and people will turn up simply because you're known and recognised and admired. You know, that takes an enormous amount of time to build up. And so exactly the same thing applies to our speakers, workshop leaders, seminar leaders. Um, we won't get... Um, a room full of people just by putting an Eventbrite page together. The Eventbrite 
Eventbrite is a great tool, of course, but it is only a box office. It doesn't do any of the selling for you. What does the selling is people learning about you, hearing about you, getting to know you. you know, it's the relationships you build with people. Um, you may do that through uh, Facebook or, or through social media or through live um, engagement, networking and that sort of thing. But that's the basis of how you build your audience. So to answer your question, if no one knows you, if no one's heard of you and you put an event on Eventbrite, no one's going to turn up or you you might be lucky to get one or two. But so the longer lead time you have, the more likely you are to get people to come along and you've really got to build. I I suggest that six months in advance is probably the minimum if you're going to start doing this on a serious basis. And actually I'd advocate it was a year. Um, when I launched my orchestra, because that was one of the things I did um, after being in the music business, I went into ordinary business. Um, well, when I say ordinary, it was a communications consultancy. Um, I got bored with that eventually and then launched my own orchestra. Now, that was a case of needing to fill a venue with a thousand tickets sold. And so we've started building the mailing list for the orchestra uh, three years before the orchestra launched. And so we guaranteed, well, virtually guaranteed. I mean, it's never a guarantee, obviously, but in a theatre that was used to getting about 300 tickets sold for a classical concert, we sold 1,000 tickets for our launch. And that was purely because we took our time to build a list. We took our time to put the publicity out there. We, we were solving a problem, a real-world problem that people knew existed, and, and that's something else that I can come on to um, if you want to ask me about that. But solving a problem um, gets people in the room who have that problem or recognise it's a problem and they want you to solve it for them. Mm. So that applies to workshop leaders as well as orchestras. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, definitely we'll be delving more into that. So I think I want to just, again, pedal back because one of the things that you said uh, earlier on was that you are working with speakers and I think it's important to mention here that you know it's come up in other podcasts that I've I've had with people that it's quite a challenge to make enough money purely by speaking so quite often speakers are diversifying into teaching and workshop and other forms of income so this is why it's so important to to be able to to fill a workshop are you finding that 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 they have to have multiple incomes the people i work with tend to be those that already um have got the plot they they recognize the industry they know what it's all about and they're building a career based on um real understanding um so they've probably already bought the t-shirt and you know they're, they're part of the real world mm -hmm. as opposed to a lot of speakers who start out and it's yeah you know i'm a speaker and uh, you know i want to make a difference and jump on stages and actually they don't really stop to consider what that really means because it's like any business uh, any other business it, it needs planning it needs a business plan it needs a marketing plan it needs you know all that boring stuff i mean even <laughs> i find that boring because i'm a very excitable entertainment kind of person but you know i'm i'm uh, you can't ignore that uh, or if you do you do so at your peril literally yeah. so i think speakers need to get that the route to market has to be thought through and i would say one of the first things to evaluate is are you popular so so what do you mean by are you popular i mean do you mean have a following yeah if if you anyone who does social media um i i would hope that you're paying attention to the kind of behaviors that we witness online because that's very 
very informative. It's, it's very helpful for us to recognize that some people are just naturally popular. They, they get a following. They actually, you know, everything they post, they get thousands of likes on, well, hundreds, I'm exaggerating, but um, some of us are that kind of a person. We're just, we're, it's like, um, you know, bees to honey. Um, does this make sense? You know, the kind of person I'm talking about, they seem to get lots yeah. of traction. Yeah, absolutely. And, and other people don't have that thing. And you might call it charisma or talent or skill. It might be a lot of different things. But I kind of advise people to start from, imagine no one's heard of you. Imagine nobody knows what you do. That's actually a much safer place to start because then you don't get any surprises. If you think that, oh, I've got all these friends on Facebook, I've got a thousand friends on Facebook, now. I'm just going to put my event on and loads of them will come along. And then nobody does come along or very few come along. And you think, oh, God, why is that? I thought everyone loved me. But actually, they might, but they're not buying a ticket. So that's why I say you've really got to focus on the business side as a separate entity from your personal side. Sure, people will come because they love you. They fall in love with you, a lovely person, and they want to be in the room with you. But that's the minority, actually. Very few of us. I don't get that. Nobody wants to be with me. You know, I'm a boring old fart, basically. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm kind of joking. But I certainly experienced that. I certainly did a number of workshops where I was expecting a much bigger take-up than I got. And it was kind of because I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't attractive enough in the marketplace. So I think it's something to be wary of. It's really, and it's not, a, it's not a problem because if you don't have that, you make up for it in other ways, like having an amazing product or you just have a, a, a solution to a problem that people have that's really awesome. If you have that, they'll come whoever you are because actually what you've got is what they want that's 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 really you that's really uh hitting the nail on the head there so it's not a complete washout if you haven't got that natural charisma but you've got to offer something else uh to fill it on if you can tick all the boxes that's brilliant now it was interesting i was uh listening to someone else the other day and I, one of the issues that came up as a as a barrier to our success is this um i think it was called a, something like our battling our entitlement so it's, it's, it's <laughs> exactly what you said whereas you know i put a workshop out and in my head it's a brilliant thing and it's going to offer loads of value so i um, assume people are going to rush and it just doesn't happen and it's and it's sort of coming at it from what you said i think that's that's <clears> a brilliant piece of advice imagine no one knows you imagine that you've got to start from scratch is, is a great piece of advice because then you've got to put a plan into place and so I, mm. I mean as i said i run workshops myself and i know other people who do and it can be challenging to fill them so why is it such a challenge is it because we're getting things wrong or is it just because the marketplace is so busy these days there's a lot on offer okay well it's a number of things firstly yes it is completely overcrowded the marketplace um and compared with how it used to be because everyone is a speaker everyone's a coach you know there are so many of us now in the marketplace we're all competing against each other secondly the the overcrowding the availability of workshops and services from coaches and speakers 
um, is visible to everyone. So everybody knows that we're all doing that. So they know that they have the choice. And that in itself puts more power into the hands of the consumer. Um, so if, if you know just those two factors, if you're aware of just those two factors, the first thing is obviously you've got to be able to create something that is really attractive to a very specific audience because you're never going to attract all those people. As we've said, no one turns up anyway. No one gives a damn about your particular little workshop. But there will be a small niche or subsection of you know, the public at large that actually will like what you're doing. And the secret there is to make it so that it is a niche product. Um, in, in the model that, in the, the magnetize your audience model that, um, you know, I, I help people with, we talk about the three specifics. And one of those specifics is a specific audience. And by that, I mean a group of people who will identify themselves by what we call an egoic label. So you may identify yourself by the word speaker. So if you think you're a speaker, you'll say, yes, I'm a speaker. So if your advert for your event says, this event is for speakers and I help speakers avoid the mistakes that they make that keep their events empty, speakers will look at that ad. So immediately you've, you've segmented and segregated your audience, your potential audience down to a, a much smaller group. But those, that smaller group of speakers are much more engaged because they know that that event is specifically for them. And there's lots of psychology behind it, which says, well, if it's specifically for us, then the person who's running it probably knows a bit more about us. And is probably a bit better, um, you know, skilled in, in um, making this valuable to us. Well, I, I've got a person in, in my Facebook group who um, only sells to police officers. Now, what a brilliant niche that is. He only sells entrepreneurial skills to police officers. I mean, that's genius because he's got no com competition or very little competition for that police officers who are looking to leave the police force and become, you know, start their own business will be attracted to that guy um, simply because he specified the audience that he's working for, that he's selling to. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is the thing where it's so, especially when people are starting off in business you know, or speaking as well, it counts if you're a speaker, where you, you want to... It, it's counterintuitive because you want to attract as many people as possible. So you think I'll go broad, but as you know, I've mentioned on the show before and guests have mentioned, it's so important to niche down because mm. it's so crowded. Like you said, to really be specific and attract that tribe who you know, you're connecting with because of that label. I've not heard the term egoic label before, um, but that's, mm. so that's, uh, that's an interesting term. So yeah, absolutely. It does make sense to me for sure. Okay, so mm. if you had someone who was just about to run their first workshop, because I know you said there needs to be a long lead time, but let's say, you know, let's say they're putting it on in the next sort of three months. It, you know, that might be a mistakeable mm. one, but what advice would you give them? You know, what would they need to think about first, the most important things? Well, it's this, um, it, I call it uh, expressions of interest. You have to, mm -hmm. You don't, you know, this thing about um, you don't need to make the product in advance. You ask people if they want a product, and then if they say yes, we want it, then you make it and release yes, validation. it. Validation, yeah, yeah. So that is that kind of principle that 
you can use, especially with workshops. So on social media and when you go networking, so offline, online, you would start talking to people. I mean, three months is a good lead time. Yeah. Three months in advance, you say, I'm going to, I'm thinking of running a workshop about, you know, how to get more bums on seats um, to your events. Is that something you might be interested in? Okay. And you, you know, you're a business person by now, and I would advocate you think of yourself in those terms. So you're going to record, you know, you're going to write down the people who said yes, you're going to write down the people who said no, you're going to put it into some kind of spreadsheet, whatever, your, your um, contact management system, and you're going to count. You, you can literally count the numbers. And when you've got to, you know, 100 people who said yes, they would be interested in that workshop, maybe you then get back to those 100 people and you say, look, um, the workshop that we talked about that you said you might be interested in, I'm thinking of doing it in July and I'm thinking of charging £100 for it. Would you still be interested in it? And 10 people come back to you and said, actually, yes. Okay. So if that happens, you would then take a decision on whether or not 10 people in the room at £100 a head at an event on July, in July was something you, you wanted to put on or not. So what I'm trying to suggest is you don't have to second guess. You don't have to put something out there and hope people will turn up. All of my clients that I work with, the very few that I've said I work with, we know roughly how many people are going to buy a ticket before the ticket goes on sale. That's the sensible way to do it, not just to throw mud at the wall and hope that people will turn up. So really thinking strategically from the outset about, about the workshop and, and building that demand and momentum before you actually put it on sale. Absolutely. Makes totally. Sense. And, and talking genuinely to people. And, the, and you will soon find out whether what you've got is of interest or not. You know, is it turning people on? Are they saying, wow, that's amazing? Or are they just giving you the, uh, you know, the buyer's lie, which says, oh, yeah, that sounds great. But actually, they've no intention of buying. Yeah, because you do get that. I mean, it is really that second question going back out and with specific question, you know, you said hmm. this, would this work for you? Because a lot of people do say, oh, yeah, but what, you know, it comes to a different matter when people put money on the table. I think that's, there's a difference between saying yes and buying, isn't there? Absolutely. There is. And, and we've all got busy lives. So people will even get to the day and not turn up or something else will come along in between. So, oh, you know, something's come up. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to make it. So the numbers are very important. It's, it's really important to understand how many you need, how many expressions of interest you have to start off with and how that translates down, you know, how it divides by 10 or divides by 20 to the number of people who will actually buy a ticket, who will actually then turn up. It always is a numbers game, isn't it? And sort of knowing those numbers up front is really important. Yeah. And the other thing that I say is there's nothing wrong in running an event for five people. You know, there really isn't. And if you're a coach used to working one-on-one, -on -one, you know, you can work one-on-two, one-on-four, one-on-five, one-on-six. It's, it's not a bad thing. And in fact, if you're just starting out, I, I think it's a brilliant thing because people tend to worry about those people who are not turning up, right? You look on Eventbrite, oh, I've only got five bookings, and they go, panic, panic, panic. I've got to do some more social media, and I've got to get out there. There's got to be more people. But I say to them, no, stop. Don't focus on those people who haven't booked because they're not going to turn up. You can't serve the people who don't turn up. You can only serve the people who end up in the room with you. So focus on the five people who've booked. Give them the most amazing experience they've ever had in their life. And then what will happen is they will go out and tell other people about it. 
And then for the second workshop, you might get eight people. For the third workshop, 12. For the fourth workshop, 15. And so on and so forth. But the only way you will do that is if your workshop is just brilliant. You've got to have a brilliant product so that when people are in the room, they love it. And then they go out and they do the marketing for you. Yeah, so that's, it's that social proof, isn't it? And those testimonials and all that good stuff. Well, I'm going to come on to oh, that totally. uh, uh, again in a bit. But uh, let's, let's talk about something practical then. What, in terms of working with the people that you work with, how important do you advise them? Is the name of the workshop, does it matter? Should people, you know, is it come back to that problem and solution that you were talking about before? Yeah, it, it, it doesn't just matter. It's absolutely, it's mandatory. You have to have the right title. Um, been doing this a long time, so, I've, you know, I've tried every single type of title you can possibly imagine. And there are some titles in the kind of inspirational field that can be a bit woo-woo and a bit fuzzy. Um, and it might work. I mean, especially if you're known as somebody who's very inspirational and, and a bit out there. Um, but in the main, I would say the business kind of title is, is going to work best. The problem solution title. Um, specifically mentioning the target audience. And if it's, a, if it's your first session, which is probably going to be just a taster session, you know, you're probably going to do a couple of hours workshop just to introduce people to what you do. The, the best kind of title uh, to use is the problem-centered title. Uh, and my one is, you know, I, I teach speakers how to avoid the three massive mistakes they make that keep their events empty. That works. I don't have to change it. I don't have to tinker with it. If I put that out there in the speaker community, people who have, you know, experienced that, oh, yeah, you know, people aren't turning up, people aren't buying tickets, they'll, they'll respond to that because they want to know what mistakes they're making that means their events are empty. So for a taster event, a first event, which is just getting people in the room to, to get to know you, to become familiar with what you do, the away from pain titles tend to work the best. Yes, the burning platform is always a better motivator than, than moving towards something. That's exactly, yeah. And I, well, until, until they're in the room with you, and then the opposite occurs. Once they know, like, and trust you in the room, then if you're selling, um, if you're upselling them into a core program, you know, a coaching program or a mentoring program, whatever it happens to be, <clears throat> pardon me, then that wants to be a towards success title which would be how to fill your workshops. So it's a two-stage process, and most people don't do that. Most people get that wrong. And the problem with if you entice them with the towards strategy in the first place, if you, if you put on a little taster event, your intro event, um, and I call it how to fill your workshops, people come expecting to learn how to fill their workshops. And when you don't deliver that in total and you say, oh, well, actually, you know, to get the full thing, I want you to spend more money with me, they get kind of pissed off. Yeah. They may not say that. You may never know they were pissed off, but actually that's the reason why psychologically the person is turned off. Whereas if you've just introduced them to, to three mistakes that people commonly make, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've been making that mistake. And you then say to them, okay, well, if you're making that mistake, would you like me to show you how to correct it? They say, yes, please. They say, well, that'll cost you a thousand pounds. It's the session I'm doing in two months time. And they'll sign up for it. Or some will, some might obviously. Does that make sense? 
that's a great piece of advice and i know i'm sure i read something where you said it's absolutely imperative you've got a an offer to make at the workshop is that did i read that right is that something that yeah, you totally. can advocate yes because it's like having a shop uh, on the high street and having nothing on the shelves you know people come in to browse and they look around and say, well, what, what's what's for sale you know and actually they're quite disappointed uh, and I've had people do that because most people don't tell you this stuff so I'm here to share with you what people are thinking they come to your event or they see you on Facebook talking about stuff and there's no offer well, what should you do but if you put it out there well actually I run workshops I only charge 50 quid they're all about you know developing your career and earning 10,000 pounds more this year than you did last year or a hundred thousand, whatever. Um, people can quantify that in their head and they sit, it sit there, it sits there comfortably for them. And they think, okay, yeah, that person, hmm, extra 10,000. Who was that? Oh, that was Sarah Archer. That was QJ. Or whatever. Oh yeah. I'll go back um, and have another look at that one. So yeah, making an offer, having an offer on the table is like filling your shop uh shelves with products i like that that's great and i i hadn't sort of thought about this but i, I do think it's worth mentioning obviously we're, we're having a focus on live workshops but i think a lot of the strategies and a lot of the things that you're talking about will also translate across into webinars as well because a lot of people are using webinars in the same way you know as a taster session or as a, as a teaching tool do you agree that the same principles apply? They absolutely apply. But the principles that apply the psychology, not necessarily the tools, um, and context is everything. So if you're trying to get people uh, to a live event, you would target people who already go to live events because that's their habit. That's their habitual behavior. Um, if you're trying to get people to online events, you want to target people who are already going to online events. So. Having said that, it may not be, online may not be the best place to advertise live events and vice versa. And not many people give that thought. They kind of think, well, you're all on Facebook, so you're all going to come to my live event. Well, that's not necessarily true because half the people on Facebook are probably introverts and they don't go to live events. So I would just say, think about all these things, find out, you know, how your audience feels about all this, how they behave uh, about those things. And one thing I want to say about webinars is there's this big thing about you can't charge for webinars. They've always got to be free. And my answer to that, because I'm a bit of a lateral thinker, is we'll stop calling them webinars. Because <laughs> you're absolutely right. You know, this is a webinar. Yeah, it's 25 quid. Well, I'm not coming because webinars are free. And, and of course, people won't come because it's not free. But supposing you call it an online learning session. Or a masterclass. Or a masterclass. Or just, um, just try. Yeah. Just try calling it something other than a webinar because webinars are free. And that's people's mindset. So you have to get over that. So change the name. Oh, that's an interesting point. That's, that's a cool point. And what about marketing? So you mentioned, I don't know if, so we've talked about Eventbrite and I want to come back to that because I've got a particular mm. question around that. But where, where would you advise uh, people to market? Is it again, horses for courses or do you, do you advocate Facebook or LinkedIn or, or, or networking? What's the best in your experience, the best thing for getting bums on seats? Okay. So this isn't in my experience. I mean, this is just common sense. You market where the market is. You put your marketing messages 
where your market congregates, where they exist, where they hang out. So if you're selling to people who don't use um, the internet, you know, if, if it's say it's an older audience, I'm not saying that old audiences don't use internet because they do. Um, you know, maybe that doctor surgeries is where you should market because you're selling something for people who feel ill. Let's take the policeman example. <clears throat> so the, the person <clears throat> that sells to policemen specifically. Yeah. I mean, are you, are you saying go to police stations or is there a, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, he's even got endorsed. I think, I believe he's got endorsement from the police federation or some, some body that, uh, that says actually they will support. So yes, of course you go to um, where these people can be found. And particularly the younger ones amongst us assume that everybody's online and, you know, Facebook advertising is, <clears throat> is where to um, spend your marketing budget. And of course that can be true, but it can equally not be true. Maybe that, uh, there was an interesting post from Dan Priestley recently. Uh, I found it, I kind of smiled when he put it out that he'd advertised in the, in the newspaper, National Press, and that the return on investment had been far lower than his Facebook advertising. And he, he, he was kind of suggesting that, you know, Facebook is more, far more powerful than newspaper advertising. And the thing he admitted to say was that his target audience are on Facebook and they're not reading that newspaper. But if it was the other way around, of course, the newspaper would be a more successful advertising um, platform. And I think, I think the point as well that you're making, and again, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, is that there's no quick shortcuts here. You can't just sit at your computer sometimes and put the ad out on Facebook or whatever. Sometimes you've got to, and it goes back to thinking strategically and having that plan, you've got to get off your butt, <clears throat> go out and find the people uh, and get them, get them on wherever they are. That's, ex- that's what you're saying. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You, you, that is on the nose. Absolutely. You've got to go out and find your audience yeah. and talk to them. Um, I made lots of phone calls, you know, you know, gosh, do I use the phone? Wow. <laughs> we use emails, you know, if, 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 if your age um, group um, does it by email or text or messenger or whatever it is, or FaceTime, whatever it is, speak to them you know, actually talk to them. That means the voice, <laughs> not just pictures. Yes. Um, have conversations with people and ask them penetrating questions. Do a 360. I've got a, um, if anyone's interested, I have a 360 email survey, which works every time. I used to use it for personal branding for clients all the time. And you choose the people that you email it to and you get back a load of responses. They're brilliant questions. It's all preset. And a number of clients that have used this actually have had responses that include testimonials for them because they've been sent to clients, friends, family. And some of the clients that speakers have sent them out to have come back and, and given them, that you know, you were awesome. That session I came to was fantastic. Or well, that keynote that you gave at our conference was fantastic, blah, blah, blah. And one particular client got five awesome testimonials just from using this 360 email survey. So maybe yeah, we'll and, and that in the, sh- in the show notes, if, that, if that's... If sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, so it's talk to people, ask them questions, get them to give you feedback. And if they all say, you know, no, you're rubbish, you should give up workshops, then <laughs> you probably ought to think again. Um, but no, I mean, uh, my thing is that most people jump into speaking very excited and with high expectations 
and they think, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to jump on big stages and do the conferences, do the big exhibition, whatever they want, and keynotes, and then I'm going to run retreats and do all that fancy stuff. And actually, I think they got it the wrong way around. Because to become a successful keynote speaker takes years. You've got to build your reputation. You've got to be a damn good speaker. You've got to be better than most. Um, you've got to build the relationships with speaker bookers and bureaus and, you know, do all that stuff. Whereas if you start with, okay, I'm going to get a few people in a room, run a little workshop, share my expertise and build it from that point onwards and upwards what happens, what happened to me in the seven years that I was running my workshop business is that then I got invited to speak uh, as a keynote because my reputation running workshops had grown to the point where they knew I was expert in X, Y, or Z. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's, it's moving from a position where you're asking to a position where you're being asked because people yeah. know you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I workshops do that because it's your expertise you've got to be selling. You can do keynotes, you can be a motivational keynote speaker, and people come and say, Yeah, oh, it's a fantastic experience, but they don't really know what your expertise is. And it might be quite flaky, actually. And that's very difficult to bottle and turn into a successful workshop business. Yeah, that's a really good, uh, really good point. Okay, cool. Um, now we talked about, I'm going to touch on this Eventbrite. Now, I don't mm. do Eventbrite myself. I, I market my events with a landing page. Um, and I, I, just because it's, I've not used Eventbrite, is, that, is it a tool that people should use? Or is there multiple ways that you can skin this cat? Well, I always say to people, Eventbrite is a tool. It's, a, uh, it's not a tactic or a strategy. You have to do that outside of what you do online. You know, you probably have to do that in a quiet, darkened room to work out how you're going to attract people, what you're going to say, you know, who your friends are, etc. Cetera, et cetera. That doesn't happen through Eventbrite. It doesn't happen through your, your own sales page that's selling your event if it's on your website. Um, so I really don't think it matters. If you've got a, a page on your website that does that job for you, that takes the money and gives people the ticket... You know, yes, you don't need to use Eventbrite. But most people starting out don't. I mean, I, I don't have any clients right now who, who have their own sales page. They all use Eventbrite because why wouldn't you? It does. It's brilliant. I mean, it's a great tool mm. and it links directly with your Facebook um, page automatically. It makes the same tickets available on Facebook. If your audience happens to be on Facebook, then actually that's, some, that's a good reason to use it for that reason alone. Um, and Facebook will also nag people to, um, you know, remind people <laughs> that your event's coming up and the tickets are so easily available through it and through to, to Eventbrite that I think that's, that's a good reason to use it. But no, you don't have to. And I mean, the commission, if your argument, you know, they take a commission. I've heard people say, oh, I don't, you know, taking 10% or whatever. It's not that much, by the way. Um, that's not an argument because you want people in the room. Yeah. And actually, what's important is that they pay something that means they're committed to it. But how much you end up with off the ticket sales of your taster events, if you're thinking that's your income, forget it, because the income comes later. If yeah. you want to make serious money, then stop worrying about the few hundred quid you might make on a taster session. Because if you do it right, you'll be making thousands of pounds out of your, you know, your full courses that you're selling. Mm -hmm. um, 
once those people are in your tribe, in your community. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, you've got to think about it as a cost of doing business, I guess, haven't you? In, in that totally. Way. It's, it's, I look at it as free marketing, actually. Mm. The, the taster sessions don't cost you anything. If you can break even, that's fantastic. Yeah. Because that's the space in which your advert um, is unique. There is no competition in that room for the thing that you're selling. Cool. So and that's then, how to look so, at it. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing that you mentioned, um, and I want to try and possibly break this down, is once you've got the people in the room, you have to deliver an amazing experience. Mm. What, have you got a, a, you know, a view on what uh, constitutes an amazing experience in a workshop? And what that's made up yeah. of? <clears throat> yeah, we, we absolutely have. Um, and that's in the second part of the service that I offer to, to my clients. Uh, and it's called mesmerize your audience. So magnetize your audiences to get people in the room. Mesmerize your audience is what you do once they're in the room with you. Cool. And how would you be advising people they should be mesmerizing the audience? It's always a combination of, I mean, there are only two things. And the combination is of entertainment and education. Mm-hmm. Um, entertainment is the experience, the value they place on the experience. So. I don't know, I, I suppose I can mention, not everyone's been, but Tony Robbins does something called Unleash the Power Within UPW. Yeah. And anyone who's been to that will know that it's a bit like a rock concert. I mean, it's just an amazing experience. So people will pay hundreds, thousands of pounds to go to that just to get the experience. And they may leave at the end of that experience and do nothing else. Um, so to make your experience entertaining, engaging, awesome in whatever way um, will be part of the attraction of why people turn up to your event. The other reason they will turn up to your event is because of the education they're going to get, the stuff they take away with them and can implement. And to me, there are only those two elements. And the proportion of each will depend on your particular you know, the way you do things, how you want to offer things. Um, mine tends to be much more, I mean, perhaps ironically, more educational than entertaining, even though I come from an entertainment background. Um, because I want people to get massive value that they can turn into financial return on getting bums on seats and making a successful workshop business. Other people may be more into the, um, I mean, let's take something like a retreat. Say it's a yoga retreat. Now, most of the value is going to come from when they're actually there. I'm not saying they won't get takeaways that they use afterwards. You know, they go away and they use the techniques they've learned. But the experience at the event will be amazing. It'll be mind-blowing, won't it, for some people? Yeah. Um, so, I, again, I would just advise people to think about that. Where does your audience see the value in your event? Is it the experience or is it the takeaways or is it a combination of the two? Because again, when it comes to marketing that, you better be marketing the way that your audience perceives it. If you're talking about the experience when actually it's the takeaways that they value, you're not going to attract them in the right way and vice versa. So yeah, yeah, I think, Make it as brilliant an experience as you possibly can, of course. Make it like, you know, going to Disneyland or whatever. Um, make it like a rock concert. Make it whatever you can. And a lot of people are a bit nervous of that 
and particularly in the speaking profession, some of them look down their noses at that. They think, well, I'm the speaker. I've got to just stand on the stage and be an awesome speaker. And what I say is, well, not everyone is an awesome speaker. Not, not everyone can do what Ed Sheeran does. You know, some people need a band around them. You know, Freddie Mercury and Queen, you know, he probably wouldn't have been as good without the other three members of the band. So have other speakers in your event. Have games and exercises in your event. Have videos, have audios. Do, do stuff that people enjoy. It doesn't have to be you on stage, just you on stage all the time. And in fact, I think, you know, eventually there'll be a lot more entertainment going on so people aren't just listening to one speaker droning on and on and on and, you know no disrespect but you've been in those rooms as well i suspect yes, yes i have yes. they could be painfully long <laughs> but yes about, exactly this is this is i guess this is you're going to i suspect your answer is going to be it depends on what your audience is and expects but what about workshop materials practical things like that you know should you splash out and get everything printed does it matter does it matter you know does it depend on whether it's a pilot or fully fledged how important are those sorts of details well it's even more important at the pilot than it is at the main event um i would never ever skimp on your brand and your marketing looking amazing um workbooks that are laminated and look really expensive it all makes a difference that's why big companies you know you get a bmw brochure and it's gorgeous it feels lovely to touch um i have you know a, a workbook that's lovely to touch and it's very simple it's a four page it didn't cost me you know a few hundred quid to design a few hundred quid to print but anyone who, who comes and hears me speak for even 10 minutes will get one of these because it sets the brand apart from the competition. Not that I have much competition, but yeah, have those things, have A5 flyers that are promoting you and your event. event. Um, people are forgetting the practical, physical stuff now because they think the internet replaces all that. Mm. It doesn't. It, it supports all that. Um, but people love books. They like vinyl records. They like brochures that are pretty. Um, you know, if you've got, if you're doing a podcast, here's an idea for you. Maybe you put a great podcast onto a vinyl LP and <laughs> give it away to people when they come to your event. How memorable will that make your your event? They'll take the record home with them and they'll put it on. I've got one of Sarah's podcasts and it's on <laughs> vinyl. Well, in fact, I'll have to pay you for that later. That idea. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love those vinyl records that had, I remember going down to uh, Covent Garden and buying a new Madonna record where she had a picture. They, they used to have pictures on the actual record. Um, yeah, picture discs. Yeah. yeah, they were brilliant. They I've were. got a Madonna picture disc. Funny you mentioned that. <laughs> I actually have one and it's an odd shape as well. It's not round. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Things like that stand out, don't they? They do. That's a really, really And you don't one. throw them away. You don't throw them away. Well, I've got it. I've never played... <laughs> Oh, right. <laughs> but no, that would be good. I mean, I, yeah, you, you're making me, th I'm making myself think, and your, your response is making me think I should go back to the pressing plant and say, right, okay, how, how geared up are you for picture discs? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they do. You yeah. can make, turn them into clocks and things. So anyway, we, we digress. Totally. We digress, yes. Thinking outside the box about what you can do to totally. make the experience unforgettable. Mm. Your event unforgettable. Mm. Brilliant. Okay. Now, one of the things that I know a lot of people will struggle with, and I have in the past myself, and that's the question of pricing. Mm. Have you got any advice on 
price, whether it's a, a taster session or a, you know, a more sort of um, fully fledged half day, full day workshop or, or whatever. Any advice? to give? Yeah, totally. Again, it's all about your audience. Um, every audience has a perception of money and its value. And the, f- the phrase I use to describe what your ticket price should be for your first session, first time they turn up, a taster, an intro session, is it should be virtually free. In other words, they should pay something, but to your audience, they should feel like the cost is irrelevant. So you may have an audience that's really stingy and they think that £10 is a bit steep, so you might charge them a fiver. <laughs> but you may have a different audience who actually are money, you know, the entrepreneurs, they make money already and £99 for them is a throwaway, you know, it's virtually free. So you, you, that is not difficult to find out, okay? And you will know which category your audience is in if, if you've got any, you know, common sense, basically. That's the price to make your taster sessions. So I have a client who um, has, she works in the corporate market where you think about corporate, they've got a job, so they're not used to paying for their own education. They expect their employer to pay for it. They expect their um, development to be paid for by the company that they work for. So the price that she charges those corporate employees to come to um, a monthly meetup is 25 quid because to them that's, mm, yeah, okay, that, I don't normally pay for this sort of thing. I don't normally go to this sort of thing, but 25 quid's okay. If she was charging 99 pounds, they wouldn't come. Right. Yeah. So really be aware of how much the money in your audience's pocket means to them, how much they value it. Now then, completely different. Once they're in the room with you, it's all about... Um, your ability to clearly articulate the value you bring and the difference you will make if they invest with you. I'll repeat that. It's all about their perception of the difference you will make and the value you will bring to them and their lives and their business if they invest their money with you. That's got to be the price they pay. Probably you, you charge them a little bit less than they were thinking that might cost them. But if you can't articulate value and difference you'll make, they're not going to buy anything. So your offer needs to contain those elements. It needs to say, right, as a result of paying me £2,000 for my course, you will be able to do this, 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 and this. Or you will achieve this, 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 and this. And be very specific. You will make. I think in, when I was president of the PSA Southeast, in my year of presidency, they asked me to run, um, you know, uh, every event covering how to fill workshops and how to do workshops. So we brought in speakers to do that. And my promise: this is kind of the, the promise that your offer um, suggests to the audience is that if they attended every event, they would be able to double their income as a speaker by the end of that twelve months. Nice. So people turned up. We sold out every event because that promise, that offer was tangible. They thought, oh, well, I made 10 grand last year. If I turn up, I'm going to make 20 grand this year. That's the kind of way to articulate the value. And if you do that really well, and you can show testimonials of people you've done it for already, all the social proof you've got, you're, you're highly likely to, to sell to those people who are obviously the right prospects in that room. 
That's brilliant. Thank you. That's that's really really clear. Excellent. Okay. Now let's say um, you've had your workshop or your taster session. Do you also cover off with your clients whether they should follow up and how? I presume the answer is yes, they should. But do, do you cover that off, or have you got any advice on that? Yeah, I mean, in the industry, there's generally this. I don't know what the exact figure is, but they say you know a a large proportion of the sales you get will be after the event, not during the event. So by follow up, um, I would take that to mean you know do you phone people afterwards? Do you send them emails afterwards? Yes, and it's not just giving them the slide deck. Um, yeah, call people, email them, say you know how was it? Don't don't try and do the hard sell. Obviously, we're not we're not into that doesn't work anyway so you say how was the event you know what could we have done better um you might have had a um questionnaire at the event happy sheets we call them that they fill in um all sorts of things no the follow-up is very important and you you some people say you can get up to two-thirds of your sales by doing the follow-up you'd only get a third of the sales at the time others say half and half whatever it is it, it it's but it can be very significant so yeah always do the proper follow-ups absolutely smashing and now qj i understand that you have a book in the pipeline is that the mm. case? and if it is what is the book and when can people okay. get the book okay well it's it's written and it's um now with the editor uh not sure on the title it will be something like magnetize your audience how to fill your workshops um and it does what it says on the tin. It's absolutely that. Excellent. And so when, when have we got a release date? Any ideas? No, <laughs> we haven't. I was well, asked this by um, someone who actually instigated that I write the book in the first place. I, I should say nagged me to write the book. And I had to say to him recently, look, I really trust the editor. And this person is going to make the book so much better that I'm prepared to wait. Um, they're very busy as well. Um, but I would hope within a couple of months it will be out. Smashing. Yeah. Well, we can um, certainly put a link to your website or to where people can contact you. And then when the book comes out, we can retrospectively put it on. So if you're listening to this in the future, after the book has come out, the link is in the show notes. And if you're listening to this right now, then, uh, then it will be coming soon and well worth the wait. Okay. QJ, thank you for sharing so much great uh, value with me and with the audience now I have a few standard questions I want to ask you before I let you go if that's okay okay yes of course okay so the first one is what is the best thing or best gig that you've ever had as a speaker what's what's happened you know what's speaking done for you basically oh what a very difficult question um well I would say the best speaking gig I've ever had was at one of my own events um we used to do a three-day weekend event called Unstoppable. And um, the very first one we did, which I think was in 2010, it was just so exciting because I co-presented. There were two of us presenting it. It was just um, the first time that I'd really got the plot of how you give value um selflessly really it my whole purpose was just to really be with those people in a way that not just delivered but made sure that they received what they wanted so it's a bit like coaching on a grand scale i suppose i'm not a coach i, I couldn't coach my way out of a paper bag but 
it's when you when you share stuff and you make sure that they've really benefited from it and they're really going to use it then something special happens again and at the end of that you know we looked at each other us who were running it and we said these guys are going to do it and it's really going to have made a difference to them so i think that was my most memorable and rewarding and fulfilling speaking gig ever it was just wonderful and have you got a horror story the one that you you'll never forget oh yeah what what's that one oh yeah that oh yeah this was, a, this was a paid gig. I haven't done many of those because it's not my thing. Um, so it's somebody else's gig. It was a networking event in Watford. There were about 200 people in the audience. It was their annual get-together. And um, I turned up, um, you know, the usual small business um, event, so full of business owners and I was met by the host and uh, they said, oh, QJ, before you go on, you know, do you want to meet some people? Do you do some networking, meet some people? And I said, oh, yeah, of course. Love, love chatting to people. And he said to me, um, so what, what sort of person should I introduce you to? What sort of person are you looking to engage with? And I said, well, anyone who's driven, ambitious, you know, entrepreneurial, really, you know, go-getter, somebody who wants to be successful in life and in their business. And he looked at me and he said, I'm not sure we've got too many people like that here. <laughs> oh, no. And my heart sank. And he was serious. And sure enough, I went on stage with all my inspirational, excitable business ideas. And they sat there like I was the most boring person on the planet. Oh, and yeah. I thought, I've, I've not reached them, have I? They're not getting it. They're not getting my kind of thing at all. So, yeah, that was my nightmare. Well, I, I did see it through to the end. And I think I got one person came up at the end and said, that was really great, QJ. I said, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Touched one person. That's, that's good. That's yeah, cool. absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, I've got another question uh, before we wrap up. So what's the one book that you've read that's had most impact mm-hmm. on your life and why? On my life? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. <clears throat> um, the one book I've read that's had most impact on my life. I, this might surprise you. I, I love Marianne William, Williamson. Excellent. It's called A Return to Love. And um, it's religious. It's actually, she's a Christian and she talks about religion. I, 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 although I was CV and sang in the cathedral, um, I'm not particularly religious, but um, it's a very human book. And it, teaches that you can just pick up any page anytime you're feeling down or you want some inspiration and it just brings you back to basics who who we are as human beings and how we can you know be nice and help people and you know be kind and considerate and actually when we get angry that's just because we're you know we've, we're the little person that can't cope and it's fantastic like that I mean it's just a really spiritually uplifting book Shall, so it sits on my bookshelf all the time. I should check that one out. Um, and I, I, what is the second question? What's your favourite? And I, I would not say either film or TV series, but I think like with you, it might be worth asking what's your favourite bit of music and why? Well, again, because I'm so, I am a musician by trade. There's so much. Um, I mean, in the, in the rock field, I love Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and Eric Clapton and, you know, loads loads from that era um i love ed sheeran so you know a few from this era as well 
Yeah. Uh, Christine and the Queens, I love. Um, oh, yeah, she's yeah. she's awesome. She's yeah. just amazing. Um, if you're talking about classical, Tchaikovsky and Prokofiev and Shostakovich are all Russian composers that I absolutely adore and played a lot in my orchestra. Um, talk about jazz, got Brubeck, Dave Brubeck. I love Quincy Jones, all the work he did with, well, all the work he's done, including the Michael Jackson work. Um, all of that's amazing. Um, too difficult to pick one piece then, it's Too difficult to pick. So, yeah, very, very Catholic tastes in music, <laughs> of course. Couldn't get much broader. No, no. Cool. And a last question. If you could have one mentor, alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Oh, Tony Robbins. Absolutely. Um, because uh, despite the fact he's very Marmite, people either love him or hate him. His skill, if you've not been to UPW, then I recommend you go, even if you come away hating it. Um, the skill he has in reading people and understanding the techniques he uses are quite awesome. But no, he's, he's an extraordinary fellow. Right. Uh, now, if people want to find out more about what you do or work with you, <clears> how would they do that? Where would they go to, to find out more? Okay, I don't have a website because I don't need one, don't want one. Uh, having said that, I probably will get one eventually. So it's the Facebook page, the Facebook group rather. Okay. Um, QJ's Magnetize Your Audience. Uh, Magnetize is spelt with a Z. Excellent. Okay. And if you go on there and you want to join, you'll be asked three joining questions, which you have to answer. Otherwise, you won't get let in. Uh, and one of those questions actually gives you the option to um, give me your email address for a copy of the book when it comes out. Okay, and I, just out of my own curiosity, what's what does QJ stand for? Is that something that you've just come about over the years? Is it your is it your name? I'm curious. It was always my nickname at school. Oh. Um, I've changed it by deed poll, so I am actually QJ on my passport. Wow! And it used to be the initials of my double-barreled surname. Oh. And I leave you to guess what that is. I don't <laughs> tell many people what it was, but it was just, I hated it because it was just long-winded yeah. and, you know, pretentious sound, make me sound posh and I'm not posh at all. Um, even though I went to a posh school, <laughs> that's not me. That's not me. QJ is me and that's fine. So in, in, in view of wanting to be authentic, um, QJ is me. I'm, I'm authentically QJ. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, hmm. QJ. And are you on Twitter or as well, or Instagram or LinkedIn? Yeah. Um, the social media um, URLs are all at the one QJ. So T H E O N E Q J, the one QJ, because I couldn't get QJ on its own. Brilliant. Well, I'll so put links at to that. the one QJ. Smashing yeah. QJ, thank you so much for um, sharing so many great tips and and tools for people if they want to fill their workshops it's been a pleasure talking to you uh, a little bit of a walk down memory lane at times for me as well it's been great <laughs> thank, thank well you thank you much. no thank you it's been absolute pleasure and delight and you you've asked some amazingly brilliant questions so thank you you're welcome well that was useful to say the least now, I'm as guilty as anyone of putting events and products out there and expecting a stampede straight off. But it's true that the picture of success that you kind of project in your mind often doesn't materialize in the same way in life until 
you have all the pieces of the puzzle and they're put together in the right way. So now I'm going to go away and plan my workshops as if I don't have a friend in the world. Oh. Anyway, go and check out QJ's Facebook group and whilst you're on Facebook, come along and join the Speaking Club Business Hub group for some follow-up on the podcast episodes and more great tips for using storytelling and humour to grow your speaking or business. Thanks again so much for listening. As ever, I mentioned at the start, please leave a rating or review if you enjoyed the show. And to make sure you don't miss out on an episode, just hit subscribe and come and say hi on the old social media. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget to grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Thanks for listening to the Speaking Club podcast at www.saraharcher.co.uk. 